We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. This powerful quote by Winston Churchill. My dear friend and fellow member of the Association of Transformational Leaders, Mickey Willis, came down to my center in 2008 to share his brilliance with an audience of over 300. He's one of the baddest conscious media producers I know, having worked with some of the biggest names in the space, his company, Elevate Films. He's worked with people like James Twyman, today's guest, Reverend Michael Beckwith of the Agape International Spiritual Center, Debbie Ford of The Shadow Effect, and many other luminaries. This was the day we were to do a premiere screening of the movie, The Moses Code. Mickey played a supporting role in the film, as well as the production of it. Drew Harriet, the producer of The Secret, that many, many millions of people have seen produce this amazing film. Let's just say the audience ate this masterpiece up. The international blockbuster movie that today's guest James Twyman put together really impacted everyone there. The post-screening conversation with Mickey as well, these were fun times. I was attracting major media outlets left and right and took the tribe along for the ride. And what a ride it was. Part of the reason I bring this up is that I did not at all feel ready to be leading this movement and tribe. I was scared, uncertain, and had no idea, frankly, what all of this was or what it meant to everyone or myself. But people kept showing up week after week, month after month, thousands. They were committed, raving about the events, and happy. Sometimes we are called to do things and have no idea why. We just step up, say yes, and leap into the unknown. If not now, when? You never know when your last day on the planet could be. Death. You will never get over it, but one day it will subside. One day the cloud lifts. Grief can be a powerful tool and channeled in a way that helps so many. But first, to be healed and move through it faster and in a healthy way, it is good to know the five stages of grief. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. These stages show up, but not in this order oftentimes. We must all experience grief and allow it through. If we do not, we will act out in ways that hurt ourselves or others. And remember, feel it fully, allow it to be, this too shall pass. As you will hear in a very vulnerable share from James in the interview coming up, one that shocked me 10 years ago when I heard it, and then again when he shared it here. It really moved me in a way I cannot explain, and I trust it will for you as well. It cracked me open to explore my resistance to many things in my life at this present moment, and simply reminded me, again, to love now and to love fully. No holding back, even if my mind and heart say to. Sometimes we need to make choices that do not feel good. We are clinging on to things, how they are or how they should be. Again, what we are most resisting is the very thing that will set us free. How often we create a story and grip onto something so tightly that we lose sight of what is possible. We hold on to positive things and negative things the same. Sometimes it is best to just let go. Now, relationships have been a challenge for me at different stages of my life. All different types of relationships, and not all the time, but certain chapters... I feel like I'm in an incubator navigating some old shadows that need to surface to be healed and loved. Now, I'm sure I'm not alone in that navigating relationships can be tough. If we are true to ourselves, we will have some friction. If we sell ourselves out just to get along, things can be smooth. The problem is that when we stuff things down and do not express our truth, we struggle. I challenge you to speak your truth 
I think oftentimes the friction comes from feeling like a relationship is out of balance, meaning I've been in several scenarios where I feel as if I'm giving more than the other person and notice I get resentful. Ever been in that experience? Now it can be many things. Firstly, it could be that the person is a taker and is self-serving. Certainly we all know some user taker types out there. Secondly, it could be a boundary issue. People will keep taking from you unless they are givers and or have clear boundaries set that can be managed. Thirdly, we can sometimes give with the intention of getting. We have to understand that when we perform service for others, we're not really doing that. I mean, it looks like in the illusion that we're doing that, that we are serving others, but the truth is there's no one else to serve but the self. There's nothing going on in the world except self-service. The more you give, the more you receive. But the, the desire to give is not strictly for getting in return. You know, there's not this intellectual thought of, okay, well, I'm going to give to you, you, and you, because if I do, then maybe I'll get something. Most of us operate in that mode already. Moses didn't do that. He just gave and received and served. We want to give as God gives, without expectations, without wanting anything in return, just to connect with another person, to serve in the grandest way. Greatness is your capacity and your willingness to be of service. Service to what? Service to love, service to peace, service to beauty, service to God, service to joy. This from the movie The Moses Code, and many of my favorite thought leaders are sharing in this clip. Neil Donald Walsh, Reverend Michael Beckwith, Debbie Ford, many others. I recommend you buy and watch this film. It's truly opened up so much throughout the years for me. So let me ask you, what's after self-indulgence? What is communion? And what does service look like to you? And how does deep divine relationship show up for you? One that serves yourself, serves others, and serves the world. The purpose of life is not to be happy it is to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and lived well. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Welcome to the Face Your Dragon podcast, where we help you, a messenger with a mission, leverage your fear to amplify your voice in the world. On the show, we open up the concept that what you are most afraid of and most resisting are the very things that will set you free. With courage, with clarity, with contribution, you can have it all. This show will engage in deep, enriching conversation with thought leaders, best-selling authors, celebrities, athletes, icons, and regular Joes who have faced their fear and are now using it to create impact in the world. I'm Brad Axelrad, and I'll be your host. James Twyman and I have been trying for months to get him on the podcast. I am excited to share him with you today. He's the best-selling author of 10 books, including Emissary of Light and The Art of Spiritual Peacemaking. He's also an internationally renowned peace troubadour who has the reputation for drawing millions of people together in prayer to positively influence crises throughout the world. He's been invited by leaders of Iraq, Northern Ireland, South Africa, Bosnia, Croatia, and Serbia to perform the peace concert, often while conflicts raged in those areas. He's performed at the United Nations, the Pentagon, and many other venues. James is also the executive producer and co-writer of the feature film Indigo and the director of Indigo Evolution and the documentary The Moses Code. Give a listen as this brilliant seasoned pro shares his genius.
James Twyman. We finally connected on the Face Your Dragon podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Welcome, my friend. Thank you so much, Brad. It is great to be here. I just love what you're doing. I love the title of this. I love the energy of it, and I'm ready to dive into the deep end of the pool. Yeah, well, that's good to hear because we're going to take you right there. Why don't we just jump right in? And, you know, you've been in this space a long time, like we were just joking about. And I'll share a quick story. You know, you had produced, um, oh gosh, what was the name of the movie? I just blanked on it with Mickey Willis, The Moses uh-huh. Co- the Moses Code. That's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, Mickey came down and we did a premiere screening. We were, we were the only other center other than Agape Spiritual Center to do a premiere screening of The Moses Code. And mm. uh, yeah, and you know, and I'm, I'm certain that you had to face many dragons and all the spiritual works you've done. You know, what, what are some of the biggest dragons you've had to face in your work on this planet? Oh, goodness. It is such a big but very important question. And since you brought up The Moses Code, that movie and the book of the same title, maybe I'll start there. And then I'll, I'll try and get more personal as we go. But Perfect. Because as soon as you, you know, ask that question, of course, all these things come into my mind, like, I hear myself saying, oh, I can't talk about that or I can't go there. But of course, that's what this conversation is all about. So I'm very willing to go where we need to go. But since you brought up that movie, let me start there because there's a very interesting story that a lot of people don't know. Of course, the movie, as you mentioned, is called The Moses Code. It came out, oh gosh, at this point, seven or eight years ago, I had written a book already called The Moses Code. And... Originally, when I was inspired to write that book, it started when I saw a movie. I know this was a very small movie that very few people saw, and it was called The Secret. <laughs> of course, I'm being facetious. Yeah, only, only like, what, 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 uh, were the, what was the viewership? It was millions. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Certainly millions, certainly millions, yeah. I mean, it was a very well-done film, but the other thing is when I saw it, I immediately had a different reaction, which is this could be very dangerous because what the secret shared and its main focus was in what I like to call the ego's law of attraction. People don't realize that your ego has a powerful attractive force. And when the ego attracts something to itself, it's doing it because number one, it believes it doesn't have what it wants. And number two, it believes that if it could only get whatever that thing is, somehow it'll be happy. Now, I think we're all smart enough at this point to know that it's like that new car smell. It goes away. And when we first get whatever it is we think we want, whether it be a new car, a new house, of course, the ego has that power, but it never satisfies us. A week later, a month later, we feel that longing again. So what I knew was that what we're really seeking is Not the ego's law of attraction, but the soul's law of attraction. Each of them, the ego and the soul, have a mantra. The mantra of the ego is, I want. And the mantra of the soul is, I am. It recognizes that it is already that which it seeks. And so it's looking within to find that and then to share it. And the more it's shared, the more apparent it becomes in our life. So if we want more joy more energy, more abundance. The way to get those things is to share it with others, to realize that it's already there. So that's the reason why I, I made the movie and wrote the book, because I really felt this was a conversation that needed to continue. And so I spent about a year working on the movie, 
and it was almost ready to come out. Um, in fact, we were already booking all the churches and theaters. We had a, several hundred at that point. I think by the time we were done, there were about 700. But we were well into it, and I decided to go to L.A., and I was going to show the movie to three different people, one of whom was Mickey Willis, you just mentioned, a very dear friend of mine named Debbie Ford, who was in the movie, and another gentleman. And I'll tell you his name in a moment, but this other gentleman, well, after they all saw the movie, I asked what they thought, and they all said pretty much the same thing. They said, it's all right. Which is <laughs> <laughs> not what you want to hear after you're working on something. Well, James, and I, I saw the original and the, the one done after Mickey's team did it, and the big difference. Both were great, but boy, it was really well done after. But go ahead. Yeah, it certainly was a beautiful film. In many ways, I really like the original version. I think it goes deeper. But anyway, so what happened was this other gentleman said to me, I haven't had two weeks off for a couple of years, but I don't have anything going for the next two weeks. And if you want, what I can do is I'll work with you for, you know, every day, 24 hours a day if you want. And I believe in this next two weeks we could pull this together and it could be great. And this is when I had to face my dream. And I'll never forget it. It was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make because part of me just wanted to be done. Part of me wanted just to say it's good enough. Yeah, let's just move on. Let's just move on. Put it out there. People are going to love it. But there was something else inside that was striving for excellence, that wanted this film and the message to be as great as it could possibly be. And I said yes, and I'm telling you, it literally was one of the hardest yeses I had to make. And we did spend those two weeks. In fact, during that two-week period, we ended up reshooting 70% of the film. Wow. Re-edited 100% of the film. If we re-scored 100%, I mean, it was almost a different movie by the time we were done. And it was really a very beautiful film. It was extremely successful. It's been seen by millions of people. And the interesting thing is that the, the gentleman I was talking about who helped me do that, his name is Drew Harriet, and he was the director of The Secret. <laughs> so this whole thing started off with me having an issue <laughs> with the way The Secret was done. And the man who came and stood at my side at that, that, that crucial moment was the director. Of the That's so freaking awesome. Just goes to show you know, how funny it can be when you do face your dragon. Well, what what you know what we say here and what I shared with you right before we got on this was, you know, what you're what you're most resisting and most afraid of are the very things that will set you free. Meaning, when I leapt to Costa Rica, I took the leap to Costa Rica and I I was resisting internet marketing for years, and that was the very thing that allowed me to really live anywhere. I'm now in a camper as everybody knows on the podcast. I'm in an SUV in a camper traveling the West Coast on my way to Burning Man in a couple weeks like me facing that resistance, and for you, that was Drew Harriet and The Secret. There's so much irony there, but that's the very mm-hmm. thing that created the biggest breakthrough for the movie. Yeah. And that's the same breakthrough that we're looking for ourselves, and I really love what you're saying, that that is where the juice is, where we are most afraid. And you know where that shows up the most in my own life is in relationships. I realized, and I was really thinking about this last night, And I was thinking about it really in the same context, that this is where my greatest growth is going to be, because I have been putting so much focus on what I'm offering to the world, the books, the movies, the music, all the different things that I do in a very public way. 
And I've been very successful, and I'm very grateful for all of that. But what has been left to the side is conveniently the thing that I'm most resistant to, and that is being fully revealed to another person. Wow. And yeah, and so this I think is a big part of this conversation. And even just being on this podcast talking about this publicly, I think is a way of facing that reality. Right. Not to hide from it, not to right. say, Oh, I'm James Twyman, I shouldn't, you know, talk about something like this on here. That's not true at all. And the, the, the more we talk about it, the more we give other people permission to face their dragons by being courageous enough to talk publicly about the dragons that we're facing. Oh, amen, so, brother. So, yeah, so this is a big thing for me right now. Well, I appreciate your courage and your vulnerability here. It's a big share. And as you're saying it, it's ironic. We have a very similar either challenge there or resistance or just breakdown in relationship. That's definitely something I've been noticing. I'm, you know, I'm 44, almost 45 years old, and I'm just in the recent like year or two realized, yeah, it's time for partnership, like true <laughs> partnership to really create a bigger impact in the world together, side by side. And, you know, for the longest time, I didn't really want that. I thought it would be distractionary or it was just too hard and too difficult to find someone that would align that much. But, you know, as I'm, uh, you know, we just got the approval to co-found. I'm one of the three co-founders of the Association of Transformational Leaders in Costa Rica. So ATL, SoCal, I've been a founding member for seven years. I'm now starting ATL Costa Rica. And what that looks like is me feeling like it wants to be built with a partner and to have that camaraderie and to get over my youthful desire to be George Clooney. I just joked about on a Facebook <laughs> post, right? This old guy that's handsome, that's having fun and he's freewheeling and traveling around like that's not serving me anymore. So I'm curious to hear your sort of process around that, because for me, the self-indulgence piece, which is what we were alluding to before, it's just empty, right? Yeah. So what's after that? And I think it's intimate communion to steal David Data's book title, but that intimate communion of transformation together on the planet. What's your take around your breakdown there and around, you know, the vision of it? Well, I can really relate to what you were saying before, Brad. I remember when I first started doing this work publicly, I, I was much younger than I am now. This was 25 or so years ago. And I was in my early 30s and... I should say that I was never cool in high school, so I was a bit of a nerd, and <laughs> so suddenly you go from that to being this really cool guy that everybody wants to know, and women really dig, and <laughs> it was a bit of a shock, and I would say in my 30s in particular, I took advantage of that, and I'm not necessarily proud of all of the adventures that I had, but I understand that there was a wounded part of myself that didn't get attention before, suddenly was getting a lot of attention. And it was very easy just to buzz from flower to flower and enjoy that. And there's certainly nothing wrong with enjoying that. I was a single man and, and all of that. But one of the things that happened was when I was in my 20s, I met and married a young woman and she was the, the love of my life. Her name was Linda. And there came a time when, well, I guess we were about 43. I, I had been trying to win her back for the last 17 years, all the while flitting from flower to flower. And Linda, who was in Chicago, my daughter and I were here in Ashland, Oregon. And Linda decided to move out to Ashland and we were going to give it another try. And I was obviously 
thrill. And I was willing to go to face that dragon because I had in my 20s really failed. I was just too young, too immature to do what I felt like I was ready to do in my mid 40s. And then right before Linda moved out to Oregon, two men entered her apartment and ended her life. And and so story, James. Wow. Yeah. And so that was like a bit of a whack down. You know, here I am finally stepping out and saying, I'm ready. This is what I want. And then to have something as tragic, something that you never would think would happen to someone that you know and love so much. And that was 11 years ago now. And I feel like only within the last two or three years have I come out of from underneath the cloud of that situation. Oh, brother, you're, I, bringing, you're bringing tears to my eyes, man. We have so much parallels. <laughs> just, I mean, the story, the depth, the pain, the, the path you've been on. The Oh, my gosh, brother. I'm feeling you. Yeah. Well, thank you. You know, I, I'll never forget when, when this happened, a very dear friend of mine, Neil Donald Walsh, he came with me to Chicago to be at the funeral. And he said something to me there that I'll never forget. First of all, you know, people often just don't know what to say and they say stupid things. Yeah. Like one person said to me at the funeral, when you get over this X, Y, and Z, and I was a bit offended and I said, you know what, this is not the kind of thing you get over. And Neil looked at me and he said, that's right. You'll never get over this, but there will come a day where it's no longer over you. Ooh. I'll never forget that. And it's exactly as you said, because it's kind of like living in here in Oregon in the wintertime. There's always a cloud that's over you. Whether you notice it or not, you always feel the presence and the weight. But there comes a day when suddenly that cloud is gone and you feel, I mean, this, obviously I'm going to miss Linda forever. However, there does come a point at which there's new life and new opportunity. And that's what I'm feeling now, to face that dragon, to face not only the grief that we had to move through in that situation, but also to face the new possibilities of love, of partnership, of joining. And what does that mean? And, of course, what my daughter and I went through, it complicates it for me because you have in your mind, well, no one's ever going to measure up. Yeah. (laughs) And... That may be true. I don't know. But but should I hold myself back from love? Or is that just an excuse? I think it is. It's an excuse to face that fear. Don't worry. There's no one else going to measure up. So don't even face it. Well, today in this moment, I'm choosing to face that fear. Oh, it's so, man, I'm, there's so many layers that I relate to personally, interpersonally, interpersonally, all of it. So the fog lifting, I mean, how long did that process take? I'm curious to hear for you. When my dad died, it was a long time. I'll share more about that. But how long did it take before you felt that kind of it being over you experience? Well, it's a good question. And I'll say it's an ongoing process. Yeah. It certainly took a number of years to feel like I was even healthy enough or ready to look out and consider the possibility of opening up my heart again. But it is also, I think that, you know, the whole cloud analogy is a good one because clouds come and go. Yeah. Even in the season where there aren't, it's not as prevalent as in the winter. Here in Oregon in the winter, you know, it's very cloudy, very rainy. But I I look out here today 
I'm looking out my window right now, and I don't know if it's I don't know if it's clouds. It might actually just be smoke coming down from a fire. Right. Canada. That's what I, I heard. But what difference does it make when yeah. when those things come? I think what you know is its own kind of dragon. We're called just to say, okay, here it is. I'm not going to run from this. You know, here comes that feeling again. I'm yeah. just going to stand still and let it wash over and through me. And not try to make it go away, not try and push those clouds away, because you can't. And I think just being brave enough to stand still can be one of the greatest gifts that we can offer ourselves. You know, you're, you're right. One of the recommendations I make to a lot of clients and regularly on the podcast is to really stand in your shit. And just feel it. Don't distract yourself. Whatever you do, sex, social media, exercise, food, television, try to notice that automaticity, the stimulus and response sort of survival mechanism that you do to not feel the clouds when they start coming in, right? Like, how can you, yeah, be courageous and brave enough to feel it fully and sober oftentimes or celibate and or both. So mm-hmm. there's great power in that. And I, I just I commend you for having the courage to do that. Not many will, will ever just feel their feelings, especially men, you know, like yeah. you know, we're, we're a different breed. We're the 1% of humans, I think, on the planet in the transformational space who will really do that. Everybody listening and the folks that, are, that do this work. Now, I just want to share, like, I mean, for me, my dad died October 19th, 2005. And I went through a very similar kind of dark, you know, the economy collapsed a year and a half later. It was it was really, really a dark time for years. And right at the same time, my purpose showed up. I, you know, produced hundreds of live events with some of the biggest thought and business leaders. When I was in the deepest, darkest, most grieving of my life, I'm standing in front of an audience regularly of 100 to 200 people in massive grief, being called and thrusted to be in service and it was such a weird thing, you know, I attracted NBC Nightly News, PBS Television, all these things. It was just attracting media and became a founding member of, of ATL a little bit later after that. The point is, like, we never know when we're going to be called to do our deepest heart's work and our dharma or our purpose. We've just got to step up and do it, even if it looks ugly and, and it's messy and we're not in the right timing. So I think what I'm actually saying there is I'm challenging you, I'm challenging myself even if I'm not fully ready, you know, we've got to take the leap sometimes and, and then really pointing that towards relationship. I have a lot of breakdown there. I, I just really am. I'm not in a desperate mode for relationship, but I'm now clear that that's what's going to elevate me and the world in a bigger way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can relate. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that your father's passing was just a month before Linda's. Yeah, is that right? Hers- Whoa, so same timing. Yeah, it was actually on Thanksgiving of, of 2005, wow. which is an interesting thing by itself that such a tragic event would happen on Thanksgiving. But, I mean, these are situations that we can't run from. You can't run from what you were feeling with your father. I can't run from, from what happened to Linda. And I'm sure everyone who's listening has something in their life that they know that they can't run from. But you brought up something very important, Brad, that I just want to make sure that we all know this, which is that call to service was one of the things that brought you through. And it certainly is one of the things that brought me through because we can curl up into a, a shell and grieve that way, or we can 
be fully present to our grief and be also present to serving people through that experience. And the, the more willing we are to keep our hearts open to other people, just as we are here on this podcast, we're going pretty deep here and that's good because this is what's going to resonate with people. Right. People don't want shallow. People want the depth of this teaching. And that's only going to come by you and me and everyone else being willing to go there, to feel that depth, to feel that challenge, and then to say yes. You're absolutely right. And we need to lead by example as leaders, both in humility, vulnerability, transparency, mm -hmm. right? I mean, these words are kind of buzzwords oftentimes, authenticity, transparency, that's the new melu in the transformational space. But it, it's really true, right? We need to have the courage to go there, to pull people into that. And like you said in the beginning of the interview, it gives everybody else the freedom and the um, permission to really go here. And the more we can share, I mean, I'm going to try to be even more vulnerable here. I was dating somebody that I really liked and it's not going to work. And I, you know, there was just a cultural divide there, I think, that created some challenges and a lot of contrast, a lot of growth, you know. So the point there is that when we take the leap and face a lot of our stuff, that's going to surface the truth of what we really want. But if we stay at the surface level, we're never going to get to the core depth of our deepest heart stuff. So it's in, the, it's in the courage that we get there. Well, this takes great courage. And if you're not feeling that point where courage is demanded, then you're not going deep enough. And <laughs> I just want point. to <laughs> encourage everyone. Oh, I just realized the word encourage. So uh, it, it's amazing how often we're called to that. And find that edge. Go to that place. Find where you're holding back. And that's where the point of opportunity is. Don't be afraid of it. And even though it's going to scare the bejesus out of you, yeah. do it anyway. Say yeah. yes anyway. Because when you do, you're not only going to heal yourself, but you're going to be an example for so many other people. Because we're all in the same place. You, yes. me, and everyone else. Every single person. Yep. Beautiful, brother. So what the heck are you up to in the world? You've done some amazing work, James. And I've just, I mean, I've watched the Moses Code just to let everybody know. I'd highly recommend you guys go check it out. I watched it probably 20 times. Um, <laughs> like, like I said, we showed it, you know, Mickey Willis came down, the producer, he was producer of that. He was one of the producers. One of the producers. Mickey came down. We had, you know, we showed it two times in one day. Probably 300 people came through the center. And, wow. Yeah. And we, you know, Mickey and I sat up in front of the audience after and we did sort of a panel breakdown. And it was really, really a special time in, in many people's lives when that center was thriving. It was the Law of Attraction Center, ironically. Drew Harriet had been there. The gal that Esther Hicks talks about channeling and ask it and is given, why am I forgetting her name? Oh, she, I mean, she's one of the original like channels of this stuff. Anyway, yes, I mean, it was lots of stuff happening in the center, but that was one of your works. I mean, I know you've done lots of stuff, James. Share a little bit about some of the work you're up to and what your core transformation is. Well, I'll go way back and say that this really took off for me when I said yes to a particular moment. And that was when in 1994, a friend gave me a sheet of paper that had the peace prayers from the 12 major religions of the world. Mm. And I began to read that piece of paper, beginning with the Hindu prayer and then the Muslim peace prayer and then on and on. And as I read each one of those prayers, I heard music and I literally didn't know if it was coming from the next room or where it was coming from. But I picked up my guitar and played along. 
And within one hour, I had put all 12 prayers to music and they were beautiful. And I, I knew that it was a gift and a gift I was meant to share. So I started just traveling around. You know, I was like a penniless troubadour at that time. And people started calling me the peace troubadour. And, and the first place I went to where things really began to take form, I felt like a peace troubadour should go to where peace is needed. And at that time, and it was around 1995, that was in Croatia and Bosnia and the whole Balkan region. And so I went there and performed the concert in refugee camps in Sarajevo and many places. And while I was there, I came into contact with a group of mystics who called themselves the Emissaries of Light. Aha, uh -huh. I'm familiar with them. Yep. <laughs> Uh, these emissaries, you're, you're probably thinking of the emissaries of divine lights. Uh, maybe. Uh, uh, here in Southern California, there's one in yeah. Colorado, and there's also a, a hot yeah. springs here. Is that different? Yeah, yeah, that's different. Uh -huh, they're, okay. they're very aligned, and, I, and I'm very associated with the emissaries of divine light. But this was literally a group of, of 13 people living in the forest in a place that you would never be able to find them. Uh, and they would come together every night at midnight and they would meditate around this mandala for 12 hours every night. Wow. And it was just re a remarkable experience. And I came back and didn't know what to do, but I ended up writing a book called Emissary of Light. And, you know, a lot of people ask me to give them advice on how to get their first book published. And I always tell them that mine is not the best example for them because how it worked for me was, when I came back from that adventure, I sat down to write the book. I wrote the, the entire book in two weeks. Wow. And then the next day, I was in a bookstore just talking to a friend about what to do next. I had no idea. Do I get an agent? I, don't, I didn't know. And the woman behind the counter overheard the conversation, told me her best friend was a literary agent. Her best friend saw the book and sold it the next day. So <laughs> and Jeez. it went on to become a, a major bestseller. But it really just started with my willingness to listen to that music and to say yes to that. And since then, it's led to so many adventures around the world, often to these countries where wars are raging. The most recent being last year when I did a concert on a hill in Syria looking down on an ISIS village. And we had rabbis and priests and imams with us. It was so amazing. I remember... Uh, Bill Maher did a big piece on me when that was happening. He called me the idiot full singer from Portland. No, and I think I remember. Was that in religiosity or did he spoke to that or was it on his show? No, it was on his show, uh -huh. yeah. And the only part of that I was offended by was being called a folk singer. Nah, <laughs> but, I mean, all of these things are just examples of facing the dragons that just show up on their own. And... People think, well, going to, you know, doing a concert on the hill overlooking ISIS, that seems like a pretty major dragon. But you know what? It really, it just goes to show that it's not necessarily as it always seems. Yes, of course, it was a dangerous situation, right. but it wasn't nearly as dangerous as most people thought it was going to be. For me, the most dangerous situation is being fully willing to allow intimacy into my life. That is much more scary to me than being on a hill doing a concert overlooking an ISIS held village. Oh, so yeah. we're all going to have our point of challenge and of opportunity. And being able to go to war zones and write books and make movies, those things come very naturally to me. 
the, the main thing I'm looking at right now is how do I keep my heart open? Mm. And it's even just keeping your heart open. Yeah, it well, it really is that. You're right, it is that because something will come along that will close it down and we open it again and we're, we think we're in relationship and we're open-hearted, but then they'll say or do something that triggers a closure again, right? It's, sure. It's such an opening and closing experience. I mean, I, I'm with you. So how do we keep our heart open? How do you recognize when it's happening? And then what do you do to shift to a heart opening again? Well, I, I think Mother Teresa put it best when she said, feel the fear and do it anyway. And it's okay to be afraid because that fear is just showing us that point of possibility of us stepping into who we really are. Well, as Miguel Ruiz said on the first episode, the Face Your Dragon podcast episode one, you know, he said that fear is completely normal in his in his Mexican accent. It's completely normal. It's when it becomes irrational that it's a problem. And, mm-hmm. you know, fear is part of our experience every day. It's completely normal. And we've got to just say yes to it and lean in anyway and jump and get heart, your heart smeared on the curb, James. We, you know, I'm going to challenge you to have the courage to dive in and, and not be afraid to have your heart smeared again, brother. Oh, yeah. You know what? That is such a good way to put it. And I really feel that because that's what we're afraid of. And that's okay. My heart, your heart, all of our hearts, we're probably going to get smeared in the curb at least one or two more times. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> yeah, it just, it just happened again for me, and I'm, I'm healing quickly because I'm willing to feel it all, and I was willing to dive in, and it, it was great. So much growth from it, too, you guys. You know, that's the, I want all the listeners to recognize that that edge we've been alluding to is where all the growth is. And if you're growth-centric, which I'm sure you are, you would not be listening to this thing. You got to be leaning in. You got to lean yeah. in. All right. So incredible conversation, James. I know we're uh, starting to get close to the time you've got here. So where does everybody find you? Well, people can go to James Twyman. It's T-W-Y-M-A-N, jamestwyman.com. And the great thing about going there is that if you get on the email list, then you're always going to be alerted when we have one of these major events. Because usually what happens, that Syrian story being one example, is we mobilize people around the world to stop for 15 minutes at the same moment when we're there to send their love and their light and their prayers to that situation. And we could have a whole nother podcast of me just telling you the miracles that I've witnessed every time we've done that when I've been in Iraq or Bosnia, Syria, many places. So go to the website and just get on our email list. So we, we'll let you know whenever we have these things happen. But the other thing that I'm really excited about is a, a new project, which is called the soul of attraction. Pretty much what we were talking about yeah, before. Nice. How do we bring this back to our soul? What the soul is really, really longing for. We're putting together a program that's going to be launched in mid-September where people are not only going to have a chance to explore that, but it's literally guaranteed that when people jump into this, they're going to be able to almost instantly be bringing in an extra 500 to $2,000 a week for doing nothing. Beautiful. And it's kind of magical, but it's really amazing. And so the website is going to be completely up at the beginning of September. So people can just go to soulofattraction.com. I like that domain a lot and the angle. It's really good, man. All right. Well, what's one final thing you'd like to share with the listeners that's really going to drive all this home and create some impact for them? Okay, well, we all know that we live in a very interesting time. (laughs) Uh. Our country and around the world, we're seeing really 
a very similar story being played out. And what that story really is, is that last gasp of the shadow, reasserting itself, trying to regain control because it realizes that its time is over. And in this country, for example, many of us look at what's happening politically and it causes great fear. What I'm saying to people is don't be afraid. Step into that because this is the sign that we are heading in the right direction. The fact that such craziness and such dysfunction can be happening, can be reasserting itself, shows that we are on the right path. So step into it, have faith, just like we were saying before, just don't be afraid of that dragon. And no matter how much fire is breathed in your direction, just keep your heart open because I have a feeling the life's about to break through in very dramatic ways. Yeah, there has to be this sort of pressurization that's happening for everything to sort of blow open, right? It's just going to crack open. And uh, I love that you said that, the shadow. It's a great way to describe, yeah, there's enough light and consciousness on the planet that we can handle this much shadow at the same time. It's going to dissolve it into the light. That's right. Yeah. I believe that. I get it. You know, years ago, maybe a decade ago, there weren't enough light workers or, or awakened individuals to have the collective consciousness to be able to offset the depth and the darkness of the shadow. But we're there mm-hmm. with technology, with just inner and interpersonal awareness. Yeah, it's really, really well said, mm-hmm. man. Yes. Yeah. Well, I believe it. And I, I hope everyone else does, too, because this is quite an opportunity that we have. <laughs> That's a great reframe, if nothing else, man. (laughs) All right, James, thanks for your time, brother. It's been an absolute honor. We've been trying to get this locked down for a while. I'm so excited we did. Yeah, yeah, I'm just grateful for for you and and your message and your courage. And yeah, keep fighting the good fight, my friend. Well, thank you for what you're doing, Brad. This is a great program. And I'm sure there are many, many people around the world who are being enriched by it. Ah, thanks, brother. That means a lot. Okay, take care. I know. I want to thank our guest for sharing his heart and brilliance with us. Thank you, James Twyman. We're all so grateful for your contribution to the world. You can find out more about James at jamestwyman.com. And as we dive deeper into facing your dragon, I want to offer the opportunity for you to discover the number one hidden fear stopping you from earning what you're worth. Be sure to take the one minute quiz at couragequiz.com. And if there's something here I mentioned that you want to review again, keep in mind, we keep all the notes for you, including links to everything we've talked about today. You can find the show notes for this episode at faceyourdragon.com forward slash episode 025. And finally, I would like to invite you to subscribe and leave a five-star review for the Face Your Dragon podcast by visiting faceyourdragon.com forward slash subscribe. And join the conversation in the Face Your Dragon Facebook group as we talk more about your greatest fears being the very thing that will set you free. Tune in to next week's episode as we revisit Don Miguel Ruiz, the amazing author of The Four Agreements. He was on episode one of the Face Your Dragon podcast and shares his brilliance around the heart and love like no one else can. I'm off to Burning Man the following week and I'm excited to unplug, to dance, to play, to face many of my dragons. If you've not been, it is a must attend. I pray that you make it one day. It's really magical. See you on the next show. And remember, when you face your dragon and take the leap, you will break free.